Hello, and welcome to the Enlightened Awakening Podcast. A place of honest and authentic conversations. I'm your host, Timmy. And I'm Uriel. And today, we're doing something a little different. We're going to start a new style of episode called Freestyle Fridays, where we just kind of talk about whatever happens to come up, whatever is on our mind, without a whole lot of structure in terms of where we're going. Uriel, you recently came back from a trip to Ibiza, and that's a spot that I've been hearing about for years, man, that's notorious for its party scene. And I'm curious to know, how was that trip, man? What were some of the highlights for you? And is Ibiza as legendary as people make it sound like it is? Yeah, so I I went to the two most well-known Spanish islands, so I spent some time in Mallorca, and uh, then I ended up in Ibiza for the end of it. It's not a lie, definitely... Ibiza is like a bubble. It's all super concentrated on the south side of the island. The north side is a lot more relaxing, more family driven. And Mallorca also has a very isolated bubble, like kind of place in the island as well. That's called Magaluf or they call it Magaluf. And similar to Ibiza, it's like... It's crazy, man. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that in my life. <laughs> yeah, but I have a couple of buddies who went on a trip to Europe like a couple of years ago and they went and they said something similar, like just like the way that the party scene happens there. It's nothing like what we would see in the West. You sent me a video of uh, Calvin Harris concert that you that you attended there. What was that like? Dude, it was insane. So the place where we, we were staying at was called Ushuaia and uh, they usually host a variety of DJs. And on the Friday night that we were there, we were watching Calvin Harris. And it was at a hotel. So it wasn't like at a stadium or what you would normally be used to. And so this hotel, the way it's set up, it's got like a stage. And then they call it the club side of Ushuaia. And it's pretty intimate, smaller space. But they packed about 7,000 people in there. And Jesus Christ, it was disgusting how many people were there and it's it's like hot and people are wearing like like girls are wearing bikinis and guys are like wearing their swim shorts and like sweaty and then it gets later into the night and um as you can probably imagine people are drinking we had gotten bottle service so we could get, be a little bit further away from the crowd but even that was like packed as well um people are smoking shisha other people i'm sure were doing drugs like it's just insane man like it seriously is just it's insane. It's like a one-time, like one-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. And and I mean, some people, fall, I'm sure, fall in love with it. But for me, that was like, did it once. And then, you know, we'll see if I do it again. I'm sure I'll, I'll get the uh, the itch to do it again another time. That's similar to what my buddies were saying, that it's just like almost unreal, like the type of environment that it is. And it's like not something that you would ever experience really anywhere else. Yeah, they were definitely keen to go back. But I think it's a reflection of like, the stage of life that they're at. I know for myself, when I was hearing that, I'm like, man, as a single guy back in the day, yeah, that, that would sound like the the highlight, but it sounds almost like a place of dangers for somebody who is married. What do you think about that based on what you observed? Oh, no doubt, man. <laughs> I, figured, I figured. Uh, Yeah. Let's just say that people are very free in how they express themselves out there, for sure. Certainly not for the faint of heart. I'm sure, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they don't have fun. You can't really like no judgment whatsoever. I think that it's, it's good. If that's what people are there for, like, that's perfectly fine. It, and it's wild too, because like, so the party starts like that night, Calvin Harris started at five o'clock and then 
it ended at 11 and then you have like an hour between from 11 to 12. And so that place is why, um, it's the, the second most famous club is literally across the street from that hotel and it's called, um, high visa. And in that club, David Guetta was playing that same night. And so we ended up going to David Guetta after that and David Guetta played at two 30. So the club opened from 12 to 6 AM. Yes. Yeah, so it insane. was like, it's disgusting. Just like how much partying you can do. And I kid you not, most of the places during the day were actually closed and they didn't open until like 1 to 2 p.m. There were some places that were open a little bit earlier, but for the most part, everything was opening like 11, you know, later in the day because people are legit out partying. And like you have breakfast places that are open for like after you're done partying in the morning, but uh, people are done partying, they'll have breakfast and they'll go and sleep. And then they're not awake until like the afternoon, right? So that's why a lot of these places don't open till later. Because the night, the day after we went to watch David get out, we left around 4 a.m. And um, went to sleep, woke up around 10. We left, went, we walked into town and like a bunch of places were closed. But the funny thing about it is, is that like, it was just like it, the town was dead. Like downtown was dead. And we came back, we went home, you know, showered, cleaned up, whatever. And then came back and it was like two, three o'clock and it was then packed. So it's crazy. And there's parties all through town. There's, and, and each club there has like, like it's busy day. The day after that night was um, after Haibisa. I believe it was Pacha. Oh no, but we went to Amnesia. Man, it, it's crazy. I, I don't even, it's just nonstop. And if you've got the stamina to do that, and I think like if I was, I'd gone when I was a lot younger, it would have been like a completely different story for sure. I had stopped drinking since the start of the year. And um, I was there with my brother. So I just, and you know, I just said, I'm on vacation, whatever. And my limitations to stop drinking was, I would only do it when I went away. And so the people there were like surprised at how much we could drink because apparently for some, for whatever reason was like, we were going a lot harder than most people normally do. Like the, the staff that worked there, but I can only attribute it to the fact that like if I was drinking a lot of water. I think I was going through like eight liters, nine liters a day easily. Plus like electrolytes and whatnot, because that helps with hangovers as well. Yeah, you really took care of yourself. So yeah, it, it makes sense why you're able to indulge and enjoy as much as you did. Yeah, that's the other thing too, though. Like the one downside to it is I didn't like is how commercial commercialized everything is. But I think that there's a lot of like party destinations now too, like Cancun and places like that. It's, they almost like sell you, like you start with a package and then you can upgrade that package. And um, that kind of takes away from the fun itself to some degree, because there's always something extra you can buy to heighten your experience. And it was a little bit different in Mallorca because it was a lot more relaxed, except Magaluf, dear Lord, have mercy. It, apparently that's the place where a lot of the really young people go to party. So you get a lot of like people that just graduated like high school and whatnot, because the drinking ages are different in Europe. The biggest shock to me was like, I thought like in Ibiza, you, you know, you're at a club, you're Calvin Harris, David Guetta, whatever. But like, this was like in the streets and like, there was, it was like a line of like different places you could drink at. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was wild, man. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I have the right words to describe just the vibe and how crazy it is, but obviously it also comes with its dangers as well. So you've got to be careful when you're around those places. What were some of the non hardy highlights? for you kind of on that little trip? Cause I know that, were you intending to go to Ibiza from the start or were you guys 
planning to do some other things and then took advantage of an opportunity to go to Ibiza. I can't remember if that was part of your plan well, initially. Well, no, this actually was an impromptu trip. Like I, I didn't even plan to to go away because um, as you know, I'm planning to go away in August, but kind of all happened about 10 days before. It just happened super quick. I ended up actually just getting a flight to, my brother was out in Barcelona and he, he was out there for about seven days, I think it was, by himself. He was like, oh, do you want to come? And I was like, oh, you know, my schedule kind of lines up. I figured some things out. And then I'd ended up just buying a flight to, to Barcelona. And then as I was on my way there, we were supposed to spend a couple of days in Barcelona. But then my brother was like, ah, I've been here too long. Then we bought flights to Mallorca and then we stayed out there. And then while we were there, we were like, ah, let's, let's, let's hit up Ibiza. Things kind of lined up as we were going. The flight from Barcelona to Mallorca is about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And then from Mallorca to Ibiza, it's roughly around the same time. It was definitely good. A little bit more expensive because you didn't plan that stuff ahead. But definitely if people are wanting to party and have a good time, that's the place to be for sure. But make sure that you're, you saved up enough money because it ain't cheap. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing I've heard, man. It's, it just makes sense that they'd ensure that they can make as much money off of people as possible. Because as we know, drinking is going to make you make poor decisions and pursue having a good time above all else. So people are quite loose with their wallets or should I even just say credit cards? Because yeah, the average yeah, person ain't affording sure, all of man. that, right? And then you wake no up the doubt. next morning looking at your statements being like, what did I just do to myself? Yeah, it's like on a whole different level from like what you're probably used to in most like, you know, American and Canadian cities unless you're in places like Vegas, but it, and it's, it's, it's a good time. Like it really is a good time. You get to meet a lot of, a lot of people, which is awesome. And you, you get to make a lot of cool friendships as well. I think in my head, I've, I travel to Mexico all the time to all, all inclusives. I thought it would kind of be similar to that, but it's actually very, very different. I will say though, that if you're not into the party scene, I still think Ibiza and Mallorca are beautiful places to visit because there's beautiful beaches. So when we were in Ibiza, we really could only party for about three days before we completely tapped out. Like it was just way too much. So then we ended up spending two days out in the north side of Ibiza. Luckily, we found a really nice hotel out there and it's very relaxing. The beaches are stunning, like crystal, like clear waters. And you can just make a day out of that. And if that's super inexpensive, you can take taxis. There's sometimes there's buses. We, uh, we rented a car. You pack up some food, you pack some fluids in a cooler, and you make a day out of that. And honestly, stunning. There's lots of cool hikes you can do as well. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't deter anyone from visiting those islands, even if they're not into the whole partying scene. There's delicious food that you can eat as well. The seafood is incredible out there. So... Yeah, if people are willing to visit, I think it's it's definitely worth it. It's still expensive for sure, but definitely worth it. Yeah, sounds like it, man. Crystal blue waters is something I haven't like actually visualized myself. I've seen pictures of it. I'm like, man, you can barely even tell that there's water there. It looks like you're looking right into the sand. So yeah, definitely something cool, I'm I'm interested in checking out. The cool thing too is, and, and I didn't realize this until I bought my flight back, but we're not sponsored by Westra, but if Westra is listening, uh, give us a shout. They have direct flights from where we're from to Barcelona. No way. For 500 to 600 bucks. What? Yeah, I did yeah, not like know that. One way, one way. And then you get the other one. So you can go to Barcelona direct flight. It's about 11 hour flight to, to Barcelona. And then once you get to Spain, like our flight to Mallorca was 50 euros. And then from Mallorca to Ibiza was about 30 euros. And then our flight from Ibiza to 
Barcelona was a little bit more expensive. It was a hundred euros, but in flights, like all in, it'd be like fifteen hundred bucks Canadian, roughly, give or take. Yeah, that's wild, man. Definitely something so to cheap. do, man. Yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty that, cheap. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, man, and I can imagine that even this time of year, there's probably a lot of people traveling there. So it's this is the busy time. Okay, this and is the like the, the high reasonable. season too, which is the other, the other interesting part about how inexpensive like transportation is. The hotels, you know, they range in prices for sure. Yeah, man, glad to hear you had a dope time, bro. One of the other things that I was interested in us talking about today is this whole submersible, submarine, whatever you want to call it, expedition that went to go peak at the Titanic and reportedly imploded. They haven't actually found any of the people that were on board yet, but they've seen some wreckage that tells them that it's very likely that this submersible imploded. And for me, it was interesting when I first started hearing about this because First of all, I actually didn't know that there were commercial submersibles that you could hire to take you on these types of expeditions. I always imagine that anybody who had been going to go see this type of wreckage, let's say the Titanic specifically in this case, had done so maybe like on government trips or things like that. But it turns out that this has been a thing for quite a few years. It's not a new form of tourism, if you will. But what was really surprising for me is as I kind of started looking at the history behind this particular company and the individuals involved is that they kind of jerry-rigged this submersible together, but it had quite a few successful trips before. And a lot of them were very experienced with this particular type of vehicle. And it was interesting to kind of see that they had created a, like what looks more like a PlayStation controller with Xbox buttons. That's how they actually controlled this submersible. First of all, I was like, it's interesting that humans have gotten to the point where they're able to engineer vehicles like this that can go so far below the surface. It's been interesting to see the conversation that's been happening on the internet. Some people are very unsympathetic. They're like, well, that's what you get for trying to dive so far below the surface, talking about how it's only people who have money that would do this sort of stuff. And then there's the other side of it, where I had heard that the young man on board who supposedly has lost his life, went along with his dad because it was actually Father's Day weekend. He didn't initially want to go, but he wanted to spend some time with his dad and thought that since his dad was embarking on this expedition on Father's Day weekend, that he joined him, which stories like that are just like sad to hear, man. When you started hearing about all of this going on and kind of the internet's reaction around all this, what were some of your initial thoughts? I'm being 100% honest. I can't believe people do stuff like that. And in the sense, I mean it, and I question that in the sense that I would never put myself in a, any type of situation. I'm genuinely claustrophobic. So being confined to such a small space with that many people. And on top of that, I have a genuine respect for the ocean and the sea. That I, th Those are two things I would just never combine together. Because we, if there's like, there's places in the world that haven't been discovered. And like the ocean is one of them, right? We don't know how deep it goes. I don't think they've actually been able to confirm just how deep it goes. So we don't know what's out there or what you might encounter. On top of that, when you actually look at the vessel, it's like a tiny window. And I'm sure there's cameras that would be able to display through the screen that was also available in there, what you're seeing. I can't imagine that being that magnificent of an experience when your point of view is so limited by the tiny, tiny window or potentially the cameras that are available to you for your display, which you can possibly just Google or watch on YouTube in the comfort of your home. But I'm sure that being in that submersible 
is what adds to the experience. Yeah, it's it's wild, man, because I kind of thought about that, too. If I had the financial means to make a trip like that, is that something that I would want to do? And I came to the same conclusion as you. No, like I get that it's it's cool to be able to say that, oh, yeah, you know, we've done something that very few other people have been able to do. But at the same time, the risk just seems so high. But as I said earlier, they had completed tons of successful trips. So I can imagine that people were thinking, oh, yeah, you know, this is just another routine trip and how wrong they were. But it's interesting to me also how it seems like people who have the means to do things like this, they really want to consistently push the limits of what it is that they're able to experience. And I can relate to that. When we had Kevin on the podcast, he talked about how he really places a very high value on experiences. And that's what he likes to spend his money on. But I'm with you, man. Like, it it just seems too risky. It almost seems like it's too easy to be able to proceed without the proper safety checks. I was watching an interview that one of the leaders of this expedition, or maybe it's the founder of the company, I can't remember. He was being interviewed and the waiver that has to be signed, it's signing a way that you're not going to sue them if anything happens because you know what it is that you're getting yourself into. And I'm like, man, that's, that's just wild. Like, at what point would you consider, hey, maybe this isn't the wisest of ideas, but I don't know. Those who are just all about chasing thrills, I can, I can see why that might be. But yeah, that ain't going to be me, man. That ain't going to be me. I think there's a lot of irony in what happened as well. And I feel for the, the people that have passed away. But the CEO was in that submersible that, uh, as per the current reports, um, has allegedly imploded. And as you said, there's a lot of quotes where that gentleman, he, uh, I think his name is Stockton Rush. He basically made a lot of comments regarding safety and what, uh, that essentially, and I, I don't remember the actual quote of what he said, but that at some point safety just doesn't become a problem. And if you can uh, circumvent some of those safety measures that, um, you know, all is well. And I think like you said, when it's not a regulated system, whether it's by a government or another entity that is essentially keeping tabs on these things. And when you think about like airplanes, right, there's a regulatory body and I'm sure that there is safety parameters that are set to make sure that they're always consistently ensuring the the safety of the aircraft for the safety of the consumer. And so, but in this case, I mean, you're talking about billionaires that as far as it's reported, have to pay a quarter of a million dollars to even be able to get on there. Yeah, I did hear that. That's so, insane. You know, I, I'm sure you've seen it as well online. The reception of the, uh, the public towards the passing of all of the people that were in the submersible, they're almost like making fun of them, which is quite interesting of a reaction if you think about, because I think regardless of who they are, I think it's quite sad that, you know, there was a loss of life because of what we could potentially point towards human error. What do you think about that? That's one of the most disturbing things for me is that people are just ruthless on the internet. And of course, that's not a new problem, but it just continues to surprise me how callous some people choose to be. They, I've seen countless memes and as ashamed as I am to say, I have chuckled at a couple of them. But at the same time, it's not without the understanding that there are families, individuals, a community that's grieving at this time. 
And it always surprises me when we hear about tragedies like this, how people will use that opportunity to post something that's going to get some clicks, some likes, some shares to get their 15 minutes of virality because they took advantage of a trending topic and turned it into something comical when it was actually a tragedy. One of the other things that I'm sure you've come across too is that some people were roasting the son of one of the people on board saying because he went to a Blink-182 concert. Now, granted, he didn't really help himself when he responded to the criticism by saying, oh yeah, my family would want me to be doing things that are making me happy, which yeah, you know, may or may not be true. At the end of the day, we don't know what their relationships were like and we're not in a position to judge and we shouldn't. But at the same time, like we can't all put our lives on hold for everything all the time just because something uncertain is happening. Yeah, people are just ruthless, man. And it's just a reminder of how the darkness that is within us will always find opportunities to come out. And I love this saying and this quote, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, or in this case, out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers type. Whatever is truly within us often is going to come out. And sometimes it's ugly, as we have seen in this particular example. It's really sad, man. It is quite sad. And I do feel, like I said, for the families of the people that have passed in this tragic accident. I do think, though, that the reception from the public comes from a deeper problem. And I've been thinking a lot about why that's the case. And the only thing that I can think about is that with the way that the economy is globally and the hardships that the general public continues to face when it comes to just even being able to survive, right? When you look at the prices of everything from living expenses, food, money, just like the, the amount of money that the general public is making when you talk about the, the lower class, the middle class, even the upper middle class, I think people are getting fed up of the fact that all of their hard work is lining the pockets of the people that aren't putting in or perceivably, I shouldn't say they aren't, of what the public perceives aren't putting in as much effort, right? So I think people are kind of fed up that billionaires are lining their pockets with the efforts of millions and millions of people. And they don't feel bad for their loss because they're benefiting from the efforts of everyone else and also making it worse for the public that is actually making them that money. Because I was looking online and during the pandemic, there was like uh, business calls of, you know, very successful companies basically talking about the amount of profits they've been making on increasing the prices of many products that the general public needs on a day-to-day -day basis and laughing about the amount of money they're making while there's millions of people struggling worldwide. And so I think that has a lot to do with why the public is not feeling bad for all these billionaires that have passed away in, in uh, this accident. Yeah, I think for me, I'm a little conflicted when it comes to that, because yes, I do believe that a lot of these people who are hyper wealthy and have more money than they could ever consider spending in a lifetime, I do think that some of them have taken advantage of the systems that are a part of our society in order to acquire that wealth. At the same time, I do believe that the world is incredibly abundant and that safer some people who live in actual countries where poverty is like very widespread. Aside from that, 
I do believe that everybody has an opportunity to create something significant for themselves. Yeah, not everybody is going to become a millionaire or a billionaire, but I do believe that through diligent action and educating oneself, you can achieve far more than you probably believe that you're capable of in the financial realm. And so, yeah, you're not going to be having enough money to spend $250,000 to go see the Titanic for a little bit. But I do believe that we can do better. I think it's also a bit of a, a dicey kind of way to view it just because I think that people who sometimes, and I don't think that this is the case with yourself at all, but I think there are some people who have that line of reasoning and think that it's unfair or that they should, for example, like give their wealth away to the port, which, yeah, I think that a lot of them, even if it's only for tax purposes, like to do that type of stuff. It's probably not coming out of a place of truly wanting to help. But there are people that are not part of that group of individuals that do do a great job in trying to make the world a little bit better. But I think that where my mind naturally goes is what can I do today to be able to get my piece of the pie? Because yeah, there's a lot of avenues. I think it's a catch 22, right? Like you have to, when people think about like wealth, like millionaires already as it is, it's like when you think about millionaires that have a net valuation of a hundred million dollars, that's generational wealth at that point, sometimes even like 10, $20 million if invested properly, that can be generational wealth. But I think when people see like billionaires, we're talking like amounts of money that just should not be held by anyone because you just can't spend it. And when you think about people like Jeff Bezos, who are just shooting up into space to see the moon for you know, however long it is, I think a lot of people have a problem with that when there's millions of people struggling worldwide. So I do kind of see their perspective, but I 100% agree with you. I think we there's a fine line of understanding like and seeing what the world is actually like and knowing what you can do to improve your life. Because sitting here and complaining about what's wrong with the world isn't really going to fix it. And when we talk, when we think about ourselves, like the general folk, we also don't have the power to fix that. The only power we have is going to the voting polls, and trying to put the right people into power that can help create that change. But ultimately, it is up to ourselves, no matter how hard it might be to make the decision, to take action on what we can to make our life better and improve it. So I 100% agree with you. Amen to that, brother. Could not agree more. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode, guys. And yeah, hopefully this uh, new format was a little interesting for you. We'll pull it out unexpectedly again sometime in the not too distant future and as always if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts because we out here on every single platform thank you for listening